And as we live into that same prayer to receive and believe and respond to God's word, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke is the third gospel, and so it's the third book in the New Testament. So the New Testament's going to be uh, towards, towards the back, really. The Old Testament is quite a bit larger, and we'll be in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, he is sending out um, those whom he has appointed to be the apostles in the world, those who are sent out to be ambassadors of Christ with the gospel message, to be those who herald the fact that the kingdom of God has drawn near. And so as we at North Holland have been continuing to look at what is our identity, how do we read scripture, what is our mission, both meaning Who are we? How do we know? And what does that mean for us? And also as we consider hospitality and belonging and equipping as part of what our focus needs to be here when we gather together as God's people gathered of North Holland. I invite you to wonder as you hear Luke 10, 1 through 16, which one of these points fits best with today's passage? Identity, scripture, mission, hospitality, equipping, belonging for Luke chapter 10 verses 1 through 16. But before we do so, let's pray together. God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Your Holy Spirit is the life and the power within us that equips us to be your apostles and ambassadors on this earth. So may your word show us the path May your Holy Spirit strengthen our hearts that we may be prepared for what you send us to. And may by the power of your Holy Spirit and the prayers of all of God's people here this day, may we be attuned to your word, to wrestle with it in our hearts, to feel it wash over us as a blessing, and to feel it strengthen us as if it were a sip of water in a dry and weary land. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, illumine your word to us this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, 
Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when you're going on a trip, what posture do you take? If you're going on a road trip, are you the type of person or the type of family that makes sure that you have absolutely everything packed and that nothing is lost to the point where you introduce to yourself the most complicated Tetris game ever known to humanity because everything has to fit. Everything for the journey needs to be packed. I grew up in one of those houses where there had to be, you know, a cooler full of everything, and we had to pack the suitcases in such a way that whoever sat in the back seat could reach that cooler because we had everything. Nothing was forgotten. Everything was packed for the journey ahead. Or are you the type of folks who say, you know what? Pack light. If we forgot it, we can buy it. We need prescription medications, and that's pretty much it. Everything else will be sold along the way. In both cases, we have a certain sense of creature comfort, that if all else fails, we have the money or the credit card, at least, to put forward to get what we need for the journey ahead. We're with our people. If we're going on an airplane trip, maybe we like the security of having carry-on only so that there's no chance that our bags can be lost, or maybe we think, you know what, they do a pretty good job most of the time, so I'm going to pack everything I need but I'll keep my essentials in the carry-on bag anyway. In both cases, we're finding the ways to give us the most comfort and confidence for the journey ahead. But when Jesus sent out the 72, he both simultaneously equipped them by sending them in the power of his name and also kind of pared away some of the things that we usually put our trust and comfort and confidence in sends us out saying, don't take with you a purse, meaning money, or a bag, should have a change of extra clothes, equipment for the journey, or sandals. That'd be like telling you to make sure you leave your car, but don't have a spare tire anywhere available. Or if you do, just make sure it's deflated. But when Jesus sends us out, he also does give us a word of comfort. But maybe we get more caught on the things that he's taking away to send us, to make us rely just on him, that we don't notice the words of comfort that led from the beginning. And those words of comfort are the fact that Jesus sent us out two by two, and he sent us where? To every town and place where he was about to go. Now, this is a painting Um, by Zund, uh, Robert Zund, of the road to Emmaus. When two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus encounter Jesus and Jesus walks with them. 
one thing that stands out to us in reading this passage in Luke was that even after Jesus had died, even after his crucifixion, the disciples were still going two by two. Because as far as our faith goes, you can believe in Jesus all by yourself, but to be equipped and sent for mission, that was never meant to be done alone. So even after Jesus' death, the disciples are still going two by two. And they're still going to the very places that Jesus himself is going to. We believe what we believe. But to be equipped, to be strengthened, to be sent out, that was never meant to be done alone. That was meant to be done together. Jesus sent people out two by two. And he sent them to every town and place where he himself was about to go. Can you think of yourself in this setting? That if everywhere you went this week, if, if Jesus told you, wherever you're going this week, wherever you're sent, whether it, is, whether it is at your own home or whether you go for your workplace or if you're traveling, wherever you go, I'm sending you to where I'm going to. Not only am I right behind you, but I am with you. This is the road to Emmaus. This sense of being sent two by two takes us out of thinking we do it all on our own, but that we do this work together. And in such a way that we have to equip one another here at this level too. That's why we do life groups. Because we do think that we need to be together. You need at least one other person, but preferably two or three, to gather together with you. Because when the disciples were sent out along the road, what did they need? They needed a traveling partner for one, but we also, just like them, we need someone to be with us, to encourage us when times are hard. We need someone to share good news with us when we get to celebrate the ways we see God at work. And sometimes it takes a second set of eyes to make sure that we are not missing out on what God is doing. That sometimes it's more easy to see for someone else to notice what God is up to around us than what it is for ourselves. This work is meant to be done together. And as a way of life, one thing I encourage, even as we move into this space, as we have our large group gathering, as we get to spread out a bit, is that if you need a few people to walk this journey with you, to figure out a life group that can meet even during the Sunday school hour when we're waiting for children in worship or Sunday school to get done, to make that a priority, that we don't try to walk this alone. And if that is a point of interest to you, talk to me, but more importantly, talk to Pastor Audrey. Um, make sure that you're not trying to walk this alone. Because from the first sending that Jesus did in Luke chapter 10, this was never meant to be a solo work. Jesus sent us out together. And he told us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. A lot of farmers around here right now are saying the harvest is mediocre and the days of good weather are few. And yet, we get sent out anyway. The harvest is plentiful. More workers are needed. More people are needed to accomplish the work of the harvest. And that requires a big team. The sending is two by two. The sending is small group. But the bigger picture of the team is very, very large group. It is a system of teams that work together. 
as I think about the harvest that we celebrate, I think of a Sunday morning here, a time where we gather together to worship God, to sing praises to God's name, to have fellowship with one another at a very large group setting, but also hopefully that we break down into smaller groups that we more, uh, more personally, more intimately walk alongside of each other. But even on a Sunday morning such as this, or this right here, there's a lot of teamwork that went into this day. What do we see and observe? We see a praise team up front, and words on the screen, and lights. And so we know that there is a group of people that got together, that practiced, that rehearsed, that, that organized worship, that people had to run the sound booth to make this possible. And that of those people that we see here, some are organized to go out and do coffee afterwards. Some are teaching in children and worship. And all of this was a whole system of teamwork that made it possible. The large group is our celebration time. But the smaller work of two by two, three or, th three or four, is the most intimate connection we have where we are most in touch with the details of our lives as we get sent out because the pattern of sending did not expire. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, says Jesus. Don't take anything with you. Now, this here might be a little bit small to see, but this comes from Patrick Lencioni's The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Thinking of the church as small teams and one really big system of teams, it's worth wondering where do we get stuck on the work that Jesus sent us out to do? That maybe it's just that we know that Jesus got to walk with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, but the people we're close to, they don't go to the same workplace as us. But spiritually, we do have to walk alongside of each other. Someone has to be with you in touch to understand where God is at in your life, to help you see that and you for them. But ultimately, where we get stuck when we break down is sometimes just an absence of trust. When Jesus told the disciples that they couldn't bring anything with them for the journey, I'm sure it produced a little bit of anxiety that they don't have all of the normal things that they're used to trusting. They only can trust that it will work out and that they're going to get sent from town to town. Absence of trust or fear of conflict is where we can get stuck, just like they could, just like we can. Jesus told the disciples that they would be rejected from time to time that they were being sent out like lambs among wolves, and that sometimes they're not even going to get along so well with each other. Because not too much earlier in Luke chapter 9, the disciples were arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus realigns them to make sure that if there's conflict, that it has to be healthy conflict, not conflict that tears one another down or tries to build myself up. When Jesus sent out the disciples in Luke 10, they had to have strong commitment because lack of commitment, they would have said, never mind. I'm not walking without an extra pair of sandals to any town you send me to. Or the accountability that they had of going two by two. Maybe there's a temptation to say, you know what, Jesus, I'll just go by myself and I'll get to a few places, but there's no one walking alongside of you to make sure you actually get there. No one to hold us accountable on the road that is set before us. And accountability has to happen in a personal, intimate, private space. Hence, two by two. And we need accountability and, and attention to results. 
Now, Jesus, as far as results go, tells us that the harvest is plentiful and that we're sent with the message that the kingdom of God has drawn near. And that's it. Nothing else is added to it at this point in Scripture. But it should make us wonder, as we see such a gathering as this, what are the results that we want to attend to as we continue to fill out this sending that Jesus did? I don't think implicitly it means more people gathering here necessarily. What I hope it does mean is that we are equipped and sent for the work that we do. And that one of the areas that we trust God with the results is that those who need to be equipped here will be here with us. That we are faithful to the sense of sending. And what happens here is our celebration. We get to be attentive to that. But what Jesus measured most was the faithfulness to the sending. Are we equipped? Do we have the right people walking alongside of us, the connections we need to confidently be sent out from this place. That on Sunday morning we celebrate, but throughout the week we do have a sense of being a missionary, an ambassador, right here, wherever you are throughout the week. With all of this, Jesus is sending them out with a little bit of discomfort taking away some of our creature comfort, some of what makes us breathe a little easier. But there's actually some of the work that Jesus sends us to is to heal those who have diseases, which an interesting note that came up uh, this week actually for us, we recognize that October, among other things, is Disability Awareness Month for churches. Teal Pumpkin Project fits well into that. There's a a vast variety of this. But one thing that was just pointed out to me about the words disease is dis-ease. Disease in its root is dis-ease, meaning the ease of life has been taken away. The convenience of life has been taken away. The, The comfort or maybe the regular abilities that we think make things simple have been taken away. Jesus is sending his disciples out to those who have dis-ease, whether it be physical or social or emotional or financial. They are being sent out to those with dis-ease. And Jesus makes them identify a little bit with that by sending them out without all the extra stuff that makes us feel more confident. Now, I don't plan to pack any less next time I go to Iowa. I really don't. But what we get to with this, the deeper sense is that are we trusting Jesus for our daily sending, for the places that we are sent to, from our homes to our workplaces to the third places that we go, places that we find ourselves often? Is it Jesus that we trust to be with us, to equip us with the words to share, with the people alongside of us to help us when we get stuck? Now, Jesus says something peculiar, I think. Jesus says a lot of things that are peculiar, but they should pique our curiosity and make us wonder and dig in a little deeper. But in addition to saying, don't take a purse or bag or sandals with you, be completely dependent on me, be dependent upon the people you go to, Jesus also says, do not greet anyone on the road, in verse 4. Does that seem maybe a little bit weird? That, That we're being sent out 
to share the gospel message, and Jesus says, don't greet anyone along the road. That might seem weird to us, but it wouldn't seem so strange to Jesus' disciples when Jesus said it, and it wouldn't seem that strange to Luke when he wrote down this gospel a little bit while later. Because there's some things that, that they knew just that existed that didn't have to be explained or parsed out. We have the same today in our culture. For instance, there's things that I can say that you know exactly what I mean, even if I don't spell out every detail. For instance, if I say, I need you to pick me up from Grand Rapids Airport. If I need you to pick me up from the Grand Rapids Airport, how are you getting to the airport? You're going to drive a car. Even though I didn't say anything about a car, I talked about an airport where there are airplanes. Yet you know full well you will drive there. And go ahead and take a spare tire with anyway. Not everything needs to be explained because we know how that works. And in the same way, when Jesus says, don't greet anyone on the road, there's a few things that people in this day and age know that Jesus means without him explaining it in greater detail. One is that roads historically have not been very safe. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan where the bandits beat up the guy and robbed him? That was common. Now, Rome is making the roads a little bit safer. Hey, you. Rome is making the roads a little bit safer, but, you see those people? But it still is not a very safe place to be. And if you're headed to the same place as someone else, like if I greet Ada along the way, if you're headed to the same place as someone else, you'll walk alongside of them, just as Jesus walked to Emmaus with the disciples. But if you're greeting someone on the road, you're facing opposite directions. You're not going to the same place. And sometimes with weeping and gnashing of teeth, you don't want to go to the same place. <laughs> Jesus says don't greet anyone along the road because he doesn't want our sense of mission to be sidetracked or distracted. For one, when you're on the road, you do need to get there. And there's a level of trust involved in wondering, will I get there safely? Don't greet anyone on the road. As Rome became more powerful, roads did become safer. But what that meant was people would come alongside of the road and try to take you off the path. They would try to take you further away from where you would be protected. Jesus wants his disciples to stay on point. Stay on the path, stay on the road, and get to the town that I'm sending you to. Don't greet anyone along the road because I need you to get there. And don't, if you're just meeting someone, don't get sidetracked by small talk because I'm sending you to a city where all other kinds of people are going to be going in and out. Now, this is just a most simple kind of basic diagram of what many cities in this day would have looked like. And part of why Jesus not only sends to don't greet anyone on the road, but get to the city and also this whole idea of when you enter a town and are welcomed or not welcomed comes from a basic understanding of what these cities were like. The main hub of the city has walls around it. And when you went to a town, you walked in through the city gates before they closed them at night, or if there was, um, if there was war or battle going on, the gates would be closed. But you got to the city, you went in the city gates, and that's where you set up shop. And if you were selling something... 
people hopefully would take an interest in you and you could work together with a local merchant. Or if you just had a message to share with the people of that city, you would go to the city gates and find people to share your message with. That seems weird to us. Like, we think of street preachers in uh, New York City standing on a bucket, um, quoting Ezekiel and Daniel usually. Um, or we think, if I was just going to proclaim the message of, to the city of Holland, where exactly would I go? Down 8th Street and hope that somebody takes me in? But this was a normal place of commerce and exchange of ideas at the city gates. This was established in the days of Alexander the Great, where philosophy of Greek culture was to be spread by sending people back and forth to different cities to share ideas. And if you liked their ideas, you'd take them into your home. Hospitality was established or not established at the city gates. And so Jesus tells his disciples, don't worry about the road. Get to the city. Get inside the gates. Go to the place where you have a foot in the door, quite literally. Get your feet inside the gate and then see if the message takes. Share your message faithfully. Do so with the person that is alongside of you that has equipped you to also share in this gospel work. This was not meant to be done alone. But if you're welcomed, you'll stay. You'll eat and drink what is set before you. And if you're not welcomed, then leave and shake the dust off your feet. This diagram shows it somewhat, but there's streets outside of the city walls. And so the implication of when Jesus says, if you're not welcomed and you leave, you'll be out in the streets, which in most cities means you've already left the city gates because no one has taken you in. There is no foot in the door anymore. Your foot has been taken out of the door, you're brushing the dust of the town off, and you're on the street headed to the next town to see if you will be greeted. One thing that this elevates is a sense of hospitality. If there is someone who takes you in, in this city, then hospitality has been extended to you and hospitality is to be honored. This also would reinforce to the disciples that when they have opportunity, extending hospitality is a gift. Hospitality matters a lot in this culture. And it starts at the city gates. Hospitality might start for us down in the reach-out center, greeting someone that we do not yet know, greeting and inviting them in so that they don't leave the city gates without receiving hospitality. And since hospitality is meant to be honored, is meant to be embraced, Jesus says a lot about peace. That when you enter a house, assuming you've already been taken from the city gates, that someone has embraced you, When you enter into a house, first say peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Interesting. We think of peace often as more of a platitude that we say. But what Jesus talks about peace, there's something very real going on here. Peace that rests on people or does not rest and returns to us. Peace has a sense of agency. It's an entity, not just a nice word. And if peace is received, then you stay there and you eat and drink whatever they give you, for the worker deserves their wages. And do not move around from house to house. Now a note on the exchange of house to house. We might think if we stay too long in one place, don't we become a burden to people? 
But this is once again an honor-shame culture. If you get greeted at the city gates, it probably won't be by the, high, be by the highest official in the city. It'll be by someone else of a lower status. And if someone takes you into their house, the idea in this culture is that eventually you will gain more notoriety and someone more important will invite you to their house and then you stay at their house and you hope to climb the ladder high enough. But Jesus says, don't go around from house to house. Meaning the first person that offers you hospitality is the one you stay with. And they're probably of a lower class than the higher-ups of the city who would be maybe too important to invite a stranger into their house. There's a deep lesson of hospitality to be learned in staying within the house. We don't do social gains. We don't try to use positions to move up. But we stay, healing the sick and saying the same message to anyone, whether they be of high or low importance. The kingdom of God has drawn near. But the peace that is exchanged just as the staying in one house is countercultural, the peace that is exchanged is almost subversive for this day and age. Because usually when we talk about peace in this day and age, in, in the days of Jesus, peace is often referred to as Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, which meant anything could be done to preserve the peace of Rome. But Jesus is talking about a different kind of peace. Jesus is not telling his disciples to say Pax Romana to find if the person you're staying with is loyal to the emperor or not. Jesus is interested, is, are these people of peace? Specifically, the peace of shalom. The peace that we read when we go through Psalm 23 in song or in word. This is not the peace of the imperial state. This is the peace of God that Jesus tells us to look for and that we have a sense of agency in spreading peace. More real, more robust than just nice words or, or keeping it in line with the empire at the time. This is removed from national identity and is more focused on the peace of God that dwells here. What brings you peace? What brings you dis-ease? What things might have to up our anxiety a little bit to find true peace and to find that in Christ and in Christ alone? In hopes that as you go out on your journey that you will become hungry and that someone will have hospitality to provide food for the hungry and fellowship for the lonely. My growing hope is that we here at North Holland, both as we're sent out is one thing, but as we gather here like a small city of different teams, that we have food for the hungry and fellowship for the lonely and hospitality for the stranger or hospitality even for those who are no longer strangers by name, but maybe strangers that we don't know a lot about them. The sending that Jesus does is meant to bring us down to just our personhood, and then we go. And we hope that the city becomes a place of peace. So which version of the triangle is found in Luke 10? All of them. That Jesus identified that he appointed us as apostles to be sent out. That is part of our identity and it's also our mission. That we read scripture well to understand 
the gospel message that the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the promise of eternal life, and the type of peace that Jesus wants us to extend, no matter if we live in a place of freedom or of persecution, that we know Christ's peace. And that hospitality of host and of guest matters a lot. And that our sense of equipping has to happen among other people who are with us, who are in it alongside of us. And that our sense of belonging is continually built up by the small group of people we meet with in a life group, by the large group of sharing fellowship together as Christ's body here at North Holland. Also that we can function well as people sent out for the harvest and so that we do gather as people of peace to equip one another for the road ahead. Friends, it's all of it. Identity and scripture and mission. Let's be people of peace just as Christ sent us out that there may be peace in our houses. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.